Hello, I'm John Dweck and welcome to the very first episode of our new podcast series, How Supply Chain Saves the World. Business leaders and marketeers um, have the easy job of defining environmental goals for their organisations, but actually I believe it's supply chain people who are going to be responsible for delivering on those promises. That's people across the whole remit of supply chain, from R&D and procurement through to logistics, planning, manufacturing, and much, much more. So I'm sure that, like me, you're highly motivated to do your bit, because let's be honest, this is the single biggest issue of our lifetimes. And unlike other people, we can directly impact the outcome. I'm personally no longer a supply chain practitioner, but I've got a massive network, and I know how to chat, so this is my attempt to do my bit to drive the sustainability conversation within the supply chain community. I really do believe that supply chain can save the world, but it also is the greatest challenge that any of us have ever faced. We need new thinking, new structures, new approaches, new measures. We need better leadership, better collaboration, better data, and there is no blueprint for us to follow this is a brave new world. So where do we start? Well, hopefully here. In the first episode, I'm joined by my old friend, John Quill Hackenberg, to get the conversation going. I'm really lucky to have such an inspiring and knowledgeable friend. We go way back to our grad scheme days at the start of our career. But today, John Quill is a managing partner of Infosys Consulting, where she focuses on things like digital supply chain, sustainability, and sustainable workforce management. She joined me on a cold evening at the end of January 2020, having returned recently from the World Economic Forum in Davos. We recorded in a room that you're gonna hear us refer to as the Snug, which is the comfiest place in Pod HQ, uh, my offices for my international recruitment business, Pod Talent. Over a couple of glasses of wine, we talked through what she'd learned at Davos, about how finance and investor communities are shifting their attention to the environment. We then turned our attention to the impact of those things on consumer behavior and eventually supply chain. So this episode sets the scene for the rest of the series and the topics that we're gonna talk about here will be dissected in greater detail in upcoming episodes. While I look for the answers to the question how supply chain saves the world, but I need your help. I don't have all the answers and I also don't know all, any, all of the questions. Um, so if there are specific topics that you think we should cover in the series or specific people that you think we just simply have to get on, I'd love to hear from you. You can find out how in the notes that accompany this episode. It would be great if you subscribed to the series and shared it with other people, because frankly, I don't want to be sat here feeling like I'm talking to myself. Also, if you love what you hear from John Quill and you'd like to get in touch with her directly, you'll find details of how to do that in the attached uh, information as well. So before we get going with the conversation, I thought it'd be a good idea to explain a couple of the things that we refer to um, in the episode, which you may not be entirely uh, aware of previously. John Quill refers to triple bottom line a few times. It's a phrase I'd heard of previously but didn't entirely understand until now. It basically means, uh, it refers to a new approach to how businesses measure their performance, which is not just based on profit and financials, but on their social and environmental impact. 
She mentioned sustainable finance as well, which is effectively the financial services arm that supports this, the approach of businesses that consider things from a triple bottom line perspective. We also talk about vertical expansion, which was quite a fad a few years ago. It refers to organisations that acquire suppliers rather than competitors when they're looking to grow through mergers and acquisitions activity. So that's the intro over. I really hope you enjoy the show. And until next time, thank you very much for listening. Okay, so this is the first episode of How Supply Chain Saves the World. And the purpose of this podcast series in its entirety is to support supply chain professionals uh, to lead meaningful sustainability improvements through conversation with industry leaders who are prepared to share their key ideas and knowledge. Um, the time's right for this podcast because uh, the world has been talking at great lengths on what it needs to do in terms of sustainability, but I want this series to turn the attention to how we're going to actually deliver what we need to do. I'm joined by John Quill Hackenberg. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> Excellent. Good to be here. Good stuff. You left me hanging there for a minute. <laughs> uh, and John Quill is one of the main inspirations for this podcast series. Uh, she was thinking in terms of supply chain and sustainability quite a while before I was. And through those conversations, the idea of this podcast eventually was born. Now, John, as you've been pushing the agenda within your business and Infosys and beyond, and you've also just returned from the World Economic Forum in Davos. So I thought it was an, entire, an ideal time to get you in uh, to tell us about your experience, but also what you found out in Davos, because this is the starting point for the rest of the series. So I'd love to find out all about your experience there, uh, what you've learned from a business perspective, where you think the future of sustainability is going, both from a business perspective and also from a workforce perspective, as we were talking about just before we started recording. Yeah. Uh, and then turn the conversation to supply chain. So let's create some context about what the business world is saying about sustainability so that then the audience who are predominantly supply chain professionals can start, we can all start scratching our heads and thinking about what the impact of, of what is going on outside the world is going to mean to supply chain and basically whether you believe supply chain will save the world or not. So I'm is that a leading question? Is that a leading question? <laughs> I might ask you it outright in a minute, but um, I think at the end of this conversation we're going to have more questions and answers. Yeah. I think you are more than welcome to come back in another episode to give some answers as well. Um, but let's start really by finding out a little bit about yourself. So you're a partner at Infosys Consulting. Um, a part of your advisory role is relating to circular supply chain management sustainability yeah and the organizational changes required uh to make to to impact that those two elements um where is your interest in sustainability come from how have you ended up being involved in that so that's a good question and um, it's awesome to be here this is very nice yeah in the snug yeah. um so i guess my my interest in this came from always wanting to uh, deliver value to clients and not just profit um, okay. and that sounds a bit wishy-washy maybe but I guess over time I was like well what does value actually mean mm. I don't really care about just profit making for clients yeah. and for me now value is 
cemented in sustainability. So sustainability is value. So you shouldn't be designing product without value in mind. It will just become waste. Similarly, you shouldn't be recruiting people without having value in mind because they're not going to be able to contribute. They're not going to get a good career out of it. So I guess that was a big angle for me. You're the second person recently to in discussions to um, relate value to sustainability. Yes. How's that come about, I mean, in your mind? Well, is that something you've also heard spoken elsewhere? Yeah. Because it's new to me. So, so it's really interesting. We had Ellen MacArthur as a keynote speaker at a conference in uh, Emphasis in Barcelona in November. Mm. And um, she made a very clear statement with a very impactful picture, which was a little boy, filthy little boy, on a boat in Southeast Asia surrounded by a sea of plastic bottles and him carefully selecting a bottle that had value and she made a very clear and obvious statement that said if you don't design with that value in mind you end up with waste Mm, okay which is which i think is a very powerful message because that of course impacts the supply chain it impacts how much you can charge for a product it impacts um, who you can attract and hire because they want to be proud of what they work for and what they represent. Okay, so value being the opposite of waste, effectively. Yeah, I think so. Okay, apologies, I interrupted you. No, no. <laughs> I would expect nothing less. <laughs> uh, you were talking about how your interest in sustainability came about. Yeah, so that was part of it. And then I guess... Um, so I did, I did an MBA in renewable energy um, because I figured that my... Um, my first degree was around uh, German Italian literature and at some stage I found that my uh, religious medieval German poetry semester wasn't quite hitting the mark with the C-suite so I was like (laughs) okay I need to change something here right so um, so I well you could use ethos pathos and logos to (laughs) this is very true um, so I so so then I found this amazing degree basically, which was focused. It was an MBA focused on renewable energy. Hence, it kind of satisfied my link between sustainability and how could I understand something really really tangible yeah. and bring that to the consulting world. So that's why I ended up doing that MBA. Okay. And from there, um, Industry 4.0 was picking up at the time, mm-hmm. and I looked at how energy management would be kind of a primary driver for mm-hmm. investment in Industry 4.0 initiatives. Mm-hmm. And I think that's 100% true because it's the one thing that you can still affect in your supply chain that you haven't already optimised through mm. lean. Yeah, and, and also it's very easy to justify in terms of a business case. Yeah. You know, because the ROI is, is clear from a commercial perspective as well as... Exactly. You know, and if so you, there's the value. Right, and if you, can, if you can figure out how much it costs from an energy perspective to yeah. make a single unit of anything then you, can, you don't have to spend money on the spot market and you don't have to have spikes in your energy levels. You can, you can basically de- derive a triple bottom line very, very easily. Um, and at some point, it, it doesn't make sense to design without that triple bottom line in, in mind. Mm. Uh, when we were in Barcelona at the Gartner conference, yeah. we, we, I think both of us sat in an Industry 4.0 presentation. I remember thinking this is very big business blue chip you have to have a certain scale um, to implement that and what I'm keen on doing um, across this series is not just to appeal to the bigger blue chip organisations but also the smaller companies um, who don't have the infrastructure and also don't have the size of assets that something like 
connecting all of your manufacturing and physical supply chain assets is going to drive an energy efficiency. You need so much scale. But we have got uh, Dirk Holbeck from uh, Henkel who uh, is going to be able to talk about exactly that actually further. That's super impressive. Thanks for allowing me to segue that into the conversation. All right, so let's talk about Davos. What was it like to start with? Yeah. Like, what were you expecting? So I was expecting to walk into famous people... (laughs) Every single second, yeah. right? I was, I was expecting that. I went in with a healthy dose of cynicism that yeah. it was going to be big chat, but I was still pretty excited to be there. Yeah. I didn't see a single quote-unquote famous person. Disappointing. Did, well, yes, but then, you know, I saw Trump from a side room. Uh, That's as stage. close as you want to get. Exactly. I mean, my seven-year-old daughter said... Mummy, do not talk to Trump. He will just tell you lies. So I, you know, I kind of, I thought that was quite. She's, um, she's, she's, she's great. On the money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she, yeah, she is. So, so that didn't happen. Um, and what, what, what I did find, however, was I was expecting there to be lots of big level conversations, yeah. and there were so many pragmatic conversations. Really. About okay, yep. I think we've all agreed that there is a crisis and we need to do something. Yep, we're miles off the target of of, uh, of twenty thirty to eradicate poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, really, Elvis Presley esque. You know, a little less conversation and more action. Uh-huh. And it was it was interesting that in every single conversation, it was the women often who were challenging. Like, yep, I think we've agreed that. So let's talk about tangible solutions. Let's talk about how can we drive these things forward. And, and of course there's a, a distinct lack of presence from the oil and gas industry as, as one would expect mm. but the industry that has a massive sway in all of this of course is financial services so there were a lot of conversations from a financial services perspective in mm. saying as, as an industry what can we do to change the dial um, okay. yeah so from the perspective of where they're investing their money or what Yes, and also um, how do we measure where we're investing the money? So let's talk about okay. sustainable financing, which is you know a, probably a buzzword to a lot of people. Okay. You, so yeah, I mean, I've heard the phrase sustainable financing. I'm prepared to admit I haven't got a foggiest what it really means, totally and I'm sure a few people listening um, might agree. So could you give us a? layman's breakdown on what you yeah. mean, what that really means uh, so so for me and sustainable financing is literally looking at if you're going to invest in something um how do i prove that um it's it's sustainable example if i'm going to give um a bulk amount of money so that somebody's able to acquire something, mm-hmm. how do I prove provenance of product? How do I prove it's ethically sourced at the kind of quote-unquote front end of the supply chain? Equally, how do I prove that if there's a startup that wants to invest in sustainable packaging, what metrics or um, goalposts do I need to hit in order that uh, I should actually dole out the funds. Now today, that's not how financing works. Right. It's kind of an upfront, we'll give you, there'll be goals like if you meet X, Y, and Z in your yes. project plan, you'll give out the money. Right. This is tying it to sustainable metrics and measurements that, that m- means that you're not going to invest in anything that's not meeting those criteria. So, okay, this is really interesting. So I, I'm no expert in this area, but and maybe this is cynical of me, but I would imagine that a financial institute 
would only decide that sustainability is the way to go because they see the return on investment and they see that this is the way to go for sustainable profits as well. Is that is this more of a well, well you an ethical decision by them it as is. well as a profit? It yeah. is, and if you look, but but if you look at the world, if you look at, for example, S and P, top five hundred companies in the world, mm-hmm. right? If you look at that, I don't know what the top ten are, but they're largely going to be extreme consumers of fossil fuels. Yeah. If they're not, you know, making the, the fossil, fossil fuels, fuels themselves, themselves yeah. right? So, so how do you move an S and P rating, as one example, or a Dow Jones index, as they have side line indices so that Dow Jones has a sustainable index right yeah. but why does it have to be a, why does it have to be a sideline why is that not the main metric mm-hmm. so the point is the world is still measuring and investing by profit mm-hmm. by a double bottom line full stop why if if the goal is that we know we're running out of fossil fuel, we know we've got ten years to change mm-hmm. and fix the climate, we see Australia burning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Why don't why is triple bottom line just not the norm? So why don't you just measure companies differently? And that was a major co- topic of conversation at Davos, because at one stage you can't just drop all investment in all oil and gas companies mm-hmm. tomorrow. That's a foolish and will bring down 60% of all global revenues right, right. so that, that benefits nobody so right. how do you create a measurement towards circular supply chain okay. circular measurement triple bottom line that allows you to reach that goal as opposed to it being happening overnight and I think that's a very very tangible way to think about it okay so <clears throat> it sounds like there is more um, financial incentive uh, than there ever has been, or investor incentive than there ever has been to to drive a more sustainable agenda. If you're a business that produces or distributes product, because yeah. this is you know realistically the target audience that we're talking to. Um, what other sort of key takeaways were there from your your, your time? Davos. Yeah. Um, that so time and again, regardless of what session I was sitting in, regardless if it was our own sessions around tech because obviously I work for a, a tech firm with emphasis or it was other non particularly tech tech and talent and that that um, overlap between yeah. the two was a big theme right and part of the talent was about diversity mm-hmm. diversity in all forms not just gender but literally everything so if you are unable to represent the consumers that that are demanding things by basically mirroring that on your own employee you're probably dead in the water yeah so my understanding of that from a sustainability perspective is if as an organization so let's assume that supply chain functions and by the way what what i mean by supply chain yeah isn't a narrow view of supply chain it's the broader view of supply chain so everything from designing products packaging and processes Mm -hmm. through to purchasing uh, upstream management manufacturing, logistics, planning, delivery, and then the new bit, the final bit, the circular recycling piece. So if we describe supply chain, supply chains need to be replaced kind of by circular economy, really, yep. or a slightly more similar, circular, more circular phrase, which may be yet to be coined. Um, but if you think about all, all, all of those kind of, kind of things, um, how, 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 where, where is the need to change 
the mentality in the workforce to drive a more sustainable agenda? Is it? It's a really good question. So if let's look at, let's look at that talent topic. Okay. Um, so if you're relying as a let's talk about large corporates, large enterprises. Okay. If you're relying entirely on the same people to do the same things, and then think, oh my goodness, we suddenly need to hire millennials because they know how to spell <laughs> the word digital and they know how to use call apps. Um, everyone's fighting over the same population Mm -hmm. um, and there isn't enough of that quote-unquote digital talent so there's a couple of things that I see that you could change in that dynamic one is enabling anytime anywhere working which means that you're then opening yourself up to previously restricted talent pools for example return to work parents disabled people the gig economy enterprises large enterprises cannot compete with digital natives unless they offer flexible working. Mm -hmm. So doing outcome-based hiring and goals rather than you need to be here nine to five, clock in, clock out, will change stuff. So that's one thing. And then just the general idea of having to reskill continuously because today it's about, I don't know, it's about sustainable packaging. Tomorrow it might be about basket weaving, whatever it might be. You need to be able to react and respond faster. And you can't just fire a whole bunch of people because they're no longer relevant. Mm -hmm. That is not sustainable workforce. Mm -hmm. And so that's a huge aspect of how you can respond and still be relevant and competitive. Good. Interesting. So as you can imagine, I should know, should know a little bit about talent in supply chain. I think you know quite a lot. Uh, (laughs) And I think what occurs to me is how supply chain has evolved as a function over time and therefore the impact of the existing talent within that function. Yep. So I think if you think back 25, 30 years ago, supply chain as a phrase didn't really exist. You had a planning department, manufacturing department. It was a back office function. They delivered what business required, the commercial team required them to do. Then slowly but surely there was more of an understanding of the value that that, that, that business, that, that side of the business could deliver to the bottom line and the top line of an organisation. Yeah. But still, to a certain extent, was not driving the agenda, was not setting the agenda themselves. And I think as a result, um, people coming through supply chain, certain characteristics have not been celebrated over the last couple, two or three decades. Yeah. I feel like I'm one of those people because I feel like I was forced out of my supply chain career for being different. I'm a disruptor, definitely. I'm an innovator. No. Yeah, those things were not valued in me and I'm a bit pissed off about that frankly because I look back now and I think I'd be a really good supply chain leader of today absolutely <laughs> you're too kind but at the, there was no, I didn't see any career path towards that because but do you know I know a really good agency that could get you a job <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were actually going to say something really interesting and useful there but no <laughs> thanks for the plug no need but I like it anyway carry on more more um, so, so I think this might be a, this is a bit of a generalization but I think there are a lot of people in leadership roles within supply chain who are pragmatic who focus on delivery of the numbers but don't necessarily have that much of a DNA associated to um, disruption creating the agenda driving the agenda from within do you think there's an element of truth to that yeah I think that's true and but what, what I'm really excited about is that I think supply chain is going to be the, the forefront of how to to take the new commercial model to market. Mm. So, so whereas sales... But are they going to be... Are the people currently in roles of leadership and below 
capable no. of driving that agenda and delivering as it stands today. No, no, no. And I think I think that's the whole key around how do you bring in this diversity of workforce. So yeah. you, d- you need to lock in like this, you know, we keep, we keep talking about value chains and supply chain, all of these buzzwords, mm-hmm. but, it, but, but it's really about how do you connect you know the marketing pitch to the reality and there's in increasingly yes. a, increasing impatience for this is the greenwashing that we're doing to make this yes. look like a s- sustainable product whereas well look look folks and supply chain we're well, doing come, I like that phrase like we'll that. come back to that in a minute but carry on sorry. yeah yeah no so, so just in supply chain itself supply chain people by inference of what they do are not the marketeers yeah. so therefore it's connecting the stories. It's telling the stories of what they're actually doing. Storytelling, I think, is really, really key in all of this. Storytelling, it's there's. I'm I'm only like in the early stage of this series, but there are certain themes that keep coming back again and again and again. Value you've mentioned, storytelling. Yeah. Again, like the ability to tell a story, the ability to to not just. Um, uh, build a, a vision for sustainability within supply chain on the basis of financial benefit but the ability to tell the story of the impact of sustainability on the individual often at the bottom of the chain at the end of the chain seems to be something that is, is very pertinent it's huge and and increasingly and of course we're talking about in the developed world where we have the privilege of choosing mm-hmm. what we're able to buy everybody wants to buy the story they're not no longer buying the coffee they're buying the story yeah. and so yes they might be buying organically produced cotton or whatever they're buying a story so any story we're able to tell is phenomenal mm. and, and that that is what's uh, landing in the marketplace mm. but that doesn't that doesn't change um, the desires of buyer of consuming consumer buyers or just consumers frankly in developing worlds yeah um, what I well again at that Gartner conference one of the most interesting stats I heard was that it's a, the the percentage of consumers who would change their buying habits if they knew that the product was sustainable was eighty percent in the UK and in India it was ninety seven percent I believe was the number, which was totally counterintuitive to me. Like in terms of the fact that you think we're on the we're on the pedestal of developed nations and we we are you know privileged to be able to make these you know decisions, but actually. Um, it's the opposite opposite way around. But do you know why I think that is? Why? It's because... They probably see the, the negative impact. Of well, they see the negative impact, but, but the point is the majority... I mean, I'm, I'm brushing this, uh, broad-brushing it, but the, the point is the majority of India is delivering these stories every day, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so there's all these individual farmers, these individual producers, the people who are living in the villages who want to be able to take their stories to market. So the more they see that, they're like, well, well I can do this too. Mm. So it's enabling something that is a natural way of living. I mean, if you, if you think about it, it's, it's quite ironic in mm. all the things we're doing. You know, when you and I were growing up, we used to. We didn't used to even have plastic bags. We used to have like cotton bags that we carried. Oh my God! How old are you? Oof. I don't. <laughs> I don't I'm, remember that. I am seven days You're older in, than you. You are right. Okay, let's. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you grow up? Jesus! Definitely had plastic bags growing up. <laughs> okay, so you touched on something earlier, like greenwashing. Yeah. Right? I don't want to be particularly contentious in this podcast series. He says... Oh, says John Dweck. <laughs> it, it's really difficult, right? But I've noticed two things. 
about sustainability leaders while preparing for this series? Yes. Number one, I reckon over 80% of them are female. Yeah. Number two, I reckon over 80% of them come from a sales and marketing background. Okay. Why do you think that is? I tick 50% of that statement. (laughs) Well, I mean, you are kind of in a commercial sales market because you're a leader in a consulting business. That's true, but I'd like to think that I also... You're definitely female. (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming that was the 50%. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Just assume that. You just made a broad brush assumption. Well, that's not very woke of me, is it? (laughs) Carry on. Um, so why? Why do I think it is? Well, I think sales and marketing yeah. have... It, first of all, it's a cool story to peddle to consumers, right? Yeah. So, so this is when I go back to this whole green washing. Yeah. So for a very long time, um, sustainability has been a cost to a business. It's like the thing you need to do to be PR acceptable. Yeah. So you see lots of companies trying to prove that they're meeting 17 sustainable development goals, which is BS, right? You can't possibly meet all 17 in any given organisation. By the way, you don't have to say BS. Do I not? No, you can say what you like. Oh, thank you. Okay, I'll I'll liven up a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, And then, uh, so, so that's one thing. So there's a story that you've got to get out to the market anyway. So therefore... Uh, I guess sales and marketing have kind of been ahead of the curve because they have to be without necessarily any, uh, what's the word, like um, tangible tangible stuff behind it. So now the business is catching up to deliver against the message as opposed to it being greenwashing, it's actually true. Not like, oh, we've planted some trees so the world's a better place. It's like, well, actually, we do care about a value chain. We're taking accountability for the end-to-end value chain. We can prove it. Good. So I think I kind of agree with you on the sales and marketing piece. I think think what it starts from is, shit, we need to do something about this. What does the consumer care? Let's mitigate risk to a certain extent. And that's kind of understandable because that's the way businesses, consumer businesses have worked for, for decades. Yeah. But I see there's a shift happening at this point in time. But it's understandable that's the starting point. What about the female? Why do you think such a high proportion of sustainability leaders are female? Um, That's a really good question. I'm not sure I have the complete answer to it. I think it's because um, the dual bottom line versus the triple bottom line has been, as in profit, we're measuring basically profit and loss, basically has been owned for a long time by predominantly men, right? So looking at this from a completely different angle, um, the women are coming in as the challengers to this. And um, what I going back to the whole Davos point last week, I found it really interesting. In sessions I was in, everyone agrees there's a climate crisis. Everyone agrees we need to cut carbon emissions and it needs to be done by 2030, if not sooner, and yada, yada, yada. The immediate answer from the men, uh, and I'm talking CEOs are standing up there saying, well, this is how we've always done it. And so let's just tax the hell out of the companies who don't comply. Mm. And the women are saying, well, hang on a minute. Is that... And again, I'm broad brushing. This was in several sessions. I just saw the women going... Can we not look at this slightly differently? Let's look at why don't you just put the two things together because taxing the hell out of 
somebody not complying to carbon emissions is not changing the game. Yeah. And the point is we're supposed to be changing how we're thinking Absolutely. about the world. I mean, you look in the UK around like, sort of the apprenticeship levy. Yes. Like the idea of basically taxing people who don't take on apprentices. Well, a lot of businesses were like, well, do you know what, I'll pay the, I'll pay the levy because I'm not sure I'm going to generate any commercial value. That's just a, that's just a, a classic yeah. traditional business mentality exactly. driven by, I, I personally believe, as a man, I think I'm probably more allowed to say this, that that lack of gender diversity, there's just not enough voices, there's not enough perceptions on what business should or could be about. And I think what's really fascinating is when you've got the financial institutions jumping on board, they're the guys who are going to control this. Yeah. And so now you're reaching a point where it's a burning platform. It's a burning platform, but I do, I do feel quite strongly about the whole diversity thing because it's, it's always, everyone leaps to it must be about women or it must be about um, race. And actually... It's just this healthy mix of diversity across all kind of levels. So, for example... I've and neurodiversity included within that, you know. It, so. Literally all diversity. So the point is, going, going back to the large corporates, large corporates have traditionally always hired men, but now they need to tick a female quota, so they do the tick thing. With, but, but by doing that, it will change the dynamics. Yeah. You can't do that for every single diversity point. Mm. I think the answer to all of this is for the next five people you hire, hire five people that are different from you. Mm-hmm. And whether that's no college degree, whether that's colour, whether that's sexual orientation, whether that's gender, that's what this is about. It's thinking differently. It's not necessarily a male-female conversation. Fair enough. That's very challenging, I think, for all individuals because I think you know, from what I've experienced as, as a recruiter is if you want to maximise your revenue, and by the way, this isn't, you know, again, it comes back to your definition of value, you match somebody who a hiring manager sees himself with it. You know, you can influence the decision You can massively yeah. influence it, but what's also interesting is if you're designing a product, I had an amazing story the other day, that they could not design a product profitably without thinking about circular economy in mind. And it's the only way they could make money. Fantastic. Okay, so... You're in a business that makes, or let's talk about, instead of talking about the, the context, let's start talking about the, how we're going to do this now, yep. pragmatically. Yep. You're in a business that distributes or makes a product. Where do you think their sustainability function or sustainability leader should sit functionally? R&D. R&D. Interesting. Mm. Is that the first time you thought about it, or is that... Something it's the new. first one I've thought about it, so okay. it's a really good question. So, what, was the, what, what, what made you come up, think of that as the answer? By that brilliant sentence from Ellen MacArthur, who, mm-hmm. to be honest, I think she's amazing, mm-hmm. and I think she's really challenging some global players. If you don't design with value in mind, you're creating waste. Absolutely. So, there's the answer. Well, I mean, it, it tucks into this whole idea of, like, you know, you know, you know the three R's, right? Of sustainability, so reuse, reduce, and recycle. Right. But repurpose and reskill are better reads to use. Oh, nice. I haven't heard of those. So there's the five R's now. Jesus. They're better to keep the other But I think we're all focusing on recycle at the moment. Uh, yeah. That's kind of the easiest place to start. Of course. Know? If true. we can just carry on making the same amount of products, selling it to the same number of people, but then it goes into this wonderful 
wonderful sort of black box which recycles everything and then we get to use it all again then the world's going to be absolutely fine whereas if we use repurpose if we think if we all think blue peter right (laughs) i mean seriously right this is a blue peter conversation we need john noakes back and all those amazing people this is about repurposing something you've already got Mm. and and i think recycling it's already being taught in schools like consistently like my five-year-old is being constantly asking me to bring boxes from our recycling bin and take them into school and I thought he was making it up to start off with but but so so I think we need to rethink the re's because if yeah. you're doing recycle do you want to have rethinking like, uh, yeah why sense? not I, do, I like the re's at the moment that's a good thing <laughs> <laughs> um no in all seriousness the assumption with recycle is that you're going to throw something out yeah Whereas if you're thinking about repurposing something you've already got, it's completely different. Yeah. And it stops you buying stuff in the first place, in my view. Similarly with reskill. Reskill is just a human capital definition of a repurpose. Okay, so sustainability, so coming back to your original point, if sustainability sits in R&D, and I appreciate it's the first time you've been asked a question, we might have come to a different conclusion in three minutes' time. You never know. I should have a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that helps design better products in the first place yeah be better packaging better processes um i suppose that does impact your carbon impact and your energy consumption as well you don't stick it at the end somebody's going to market it you stick it but it doesn't have a doesn't have the opportunity to influence things like you know your distribution networks your your approach to distribution your approach to warehousing your approach to balance of supply and demand as well well, you see, I think it does, because if you're redesigning a product and if you're taking into consideration the word repurpose, going mm-hmm. back to that point. So we'll take an example, um, printer cartridges, mm-hmm. randomly. Mm-hmm. So, or IKEA. IKEA is a great example. So IKEA has been producing marvellous furniture for a very long time, for a good cross-section of, the, of society. But they have to take accountability now for landfill, mm-hmm. because bizarrely their products end up in landfill so what they're doing is they are repurposing and refashioning their products yeah. they're taking it back and they're refashioning it using their entire ecosystem and selling it as a second hand line of business right okay so the idea of r&d being involved in a reuse repurpose as opposed to a brand new product every single time it's redefining what r&d is about if you have sustainability sitting in R&D, because R&D is not necessarily about the brand new, the brand new, the brand new, it's also the repurpose and refashion. Okay, fair enough. <coughs> I'm not sure I agree with you. Well, I wouldn't expect it. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously I feel like it should sit in supply chain, otherwise I wouldn't. I would have called to well, how, how R&D will save the world. But I thought we said R&D was part of... Definitely is part of the su- su- supply chain, for sure. Well, this is half the problem. Yeah. R&D technically is not generally considered part of supply chain. And I think <clears throat> maybe we need a new function, the circular economy function, right. which includes everything from you know, the development of products through to recycling element as well. You know, because but for me, for me, that not being part of the value chain, how can... I, I agree with you 100%. R&D is not considered part of the value chain generally speaking. Which is insane. This is nonsense. It's insane. Nonsense. So we've just dis- we, we've defined the new. Basically. Okay, so let's create the circular economy function, yeah. which incorporates supply chain management, balancing of supply and demand. Because let's be honest, if you reduce 
plastic and a bottle cap by 10%. Yeah. But you're making shitloads too many bottle caps. What's yeah. the point in reducing the plastic by 10%? Exactly. Um, we're talking logistics, distribution. What about this recycling element then as well? So, <clears throat> I think that what's quite interesting about um, the recycling, are we talking about packaging? We're we talking about product here. <sighs> Just blow my mind. See, this is how complicated it is. I was talking about packaging, and now you're now you've thrown it up to product. This is the complexity of the whole thing, isn't it? Like, it is complex, but if you so if you're thinking consumer goods, it's also re again redesigning it right at the beginning. Yeah. Why do you need packaging? Do you actually totally need agree. packaging? Could it be edible packaging? Could it be um, compostable Impossible. packaging? Could it be a product that no longer requires packaging? So P and G. Well, I mean, what, okay, doing, here's a question. the P and G oh. conversation. Were you at the P and G? And I think that was at the uh, Sustainability Summit with the WEF in New York. I wasn't, last year. I wasn't at that one. I'm afraid. You need to come. Well, probably, hopefully, I'm, I'm planning on getting invited. Yeah, you should be there. <laughs> you should be there. And so, what they were talking about is just rethinking why the hell do we even need packaging? I totally so, agree. So, designing washing up liquid where the end consumer adds the water to the product, then you don't even need. Totally, absolutely. Just but, but you've already started to see that the likes of RB and other businesses have yeah. started re- really em- embracing this, and this is excellent. You know. So, where is sustainability sitting in that? In the R and D function, going back to my point. Fair enough. I understand. So I win. You lose. Okay. If, if, <laughs> if that enables us to, you know, I've learned. I've learned enough in life to just at this moment in time just move on to the next topic. But we both agree that R and D should be part of supply chain. Uh, absolutely. Well, no. What we've agreed is that supply chain is now a defunct function. Supply chain is part of something bigger because that's half the problem. It I is. speak to someone who's a, a EMEA supply chain VP, and they're responsible for logistics and planning. Well, that's not end-to-end supply chain. Uh, you know why? Why won't procurement? report into into supply chain, especially direct procurement. If you've got somebody responsible for purchasing all of the materials, packaging and machinery that makes your product, and they sit separately to supply chain. That's just it makes insane. no sense. It makes no sense. But but it does make sense when you think of the legacies of the different functional areas and how they evolved. But someone's gonna start with a blank piece of paper and go, hang on a minute. Forget the legacy. If you want to make him, if you want to really move the, the the agenda forward, start thinking about your your assets, your infrastructure exactly. on how you bring product from concept to delivery and back again. And, and so this is this is the point I think that um, you know everyone talks about being agile and it seems like such a ridiculous term, but genuinely, what agile to me means is not about um, you know. Being agile, safe, certified, and following methodology, and all yeah. those things. It's it's about being able to bring multidisciplinary teams together to solve mm. a problem. And you see that in consulting the whole time. You used mm. to have these very siloed areas where you know you'd have somebody looking at HR, somebody you'd look mm. at I don't know ERP, whatever. You need to link all of those things together internally, and that's the only way you can respond to the market. But I was talking to somebody who is hopefully coming onto the podcast, and they were talking about this within supply chain itself. You have silos, you've got procurement doing their job, manufacturing, logistics, planning, all doing their individual jobs. And even if somebody is overlooking the entirety of it, they're not getting those guys thinking together from a value chain perspective initially. Exactly. But also then we move on to the... the, Actually, no, it is value chain because we're just talking about the definition of value further down the line um, in terms of sustainability as well. Okay. So... As expected, we're posing way more questions than answers, but... So, 
you're a supply chain leader. Right? Yep. Or an up and coming supply chain professional who wants to be a leader in the future. You're working either across the entirety of our newly defined supply chain or within one ind- individual element, including R&D, including recycling. Where do you start, you know, by if you decide that you want to influence the agenda from within um, because you have access to the data, you have access to the capabilities and information as to how things are going to get done rather than a marketeer espousing what they think the consumer wants. How do you go about that? Where do you start? It's a really brilliant question. So there's two things that can influence that. One is data. So one is actually having facts rather than supposition. Um, and so bringing data together in multi, from multidisciplinary areas mm-hmm. is very, very key. Mm-hmm. And the other is like simple um, cross-functional team that we're just talking about, right? So, so you need representation and it probably means it's like a, a mini task force that sits aside that doesn't cost a, a small company a fortune, but just setting up this kind of innovation hub or using larger organisations, whether that's a tech company or a consulting company, you can use a hub to mix ideas together. Mm. It's this fresh idea perspective without having to hire a whole army of A consultants or B millennials Mm. to come and disrupt. It's just thinking outside your daily job based upon data. So then what does that mean about the behaviours required of the next generation of leaders within, for the sake of a better word, supply chain? So what that means is that um, soft skills are almost more important than hard skills. And so typically, mm. you know, in supply chain, because I'm not saying it's all are engineers, but there's like an engineering background who yeah. may be focused or mathematicians or whatever, they're quite focused in one given area. Um, you the soft skills and the leadership qualities to think outside the box is really really key yes so so I'm saying soft skills rather than hard skills yep. to think differently is really really important but I think the challenge is that, that thinking outside the box is a kind of a generalist capability whereas I think supply chain has valued specialism for a long time specialism quality integrity um, detail, attention to detail, completer finishes, those are tend to be the, the what you demand or de- desire in a pra- supply chain practitioner. Yes. So that goes back to what I was talking about, my own personal experience in my own career. I fucking hated being a specialist. My attention to detail is crap. <laughs> yeah? Compared to a, the quality engineers or shift managers I was sat alongside. But I'd, So I didn't know how to navigate my route towards leadership but there was always in the back of my mind thinking, I'd be a better leader than a, a practitioner. You see what I mean? I, I do. I, I, I do. really struggle to navigate that. But I do don't you know, know what, how. Ah, you see, here, this is why I think this is why I think supply chain is going to be so critical for the future. Whatever we're going to call it, I think we'll redefine it in this podcast series, John. Cool. Um, so that's what it's going to be. But there's two things that are going to change. One is HR is now cool, right? So HR was not cool. It's now cool. So that talent. Means Exactly, it's now talent, yeah. not HR, Absolutely. number one. The second thing is, from a supply chain perspective, it's no longer how can you cost cut, cost cut, cost cut. It's how can we, we rethink value. and add value. Yeah. And so those skills from a leader perspective, you'll still need the completer finishers, you'll still need the, the attention to detail, but from a leadership perspective, those skills are absolutely critical to bring those qualities together. Okay. Okay, 
Gotcha. Okay, so you're a global chief supply chain officer listening to this podcast. Yep. And you're think, sat there thinking, this is all very interesting. Should I be an early adopter or a follower? What are the relative pros and cons of both in terms of the sustainability? So a fast follower is always an awesome place to be, right? Yeah. A fast follower is an awesome place to be because then you can watch the mistakes of everybody else. It depends what industry you're in and what crisis you're facing and how much you need to disrupt. Mm. So I don't have a good answer for any given industry, but I think um, the ability to attract some startups, either in partnerships or acquisitions, to just start to think slightly mm. differently in that sustainability angle, whether it's packaging, whether it's provenance of product, whether it's it's a, a technology that enables visibility of the supply chain. I think that's really, really key to get your data to figure out where you could have your own USP. I love how pragmatic that answer is, and I think that's absolutely spot on. Uh, it's not necessarily the answer I was expecting, actually. I love the, the first point you said. No, not at all, but <laughs> all BS. But, but what I loved initially was it depends what crisis you're facing. That is just the perfect, for me, the perfect definition. Like, I put speak from my own experience. I wanted to launch this podcast four months ago. Yeah. But a potential cliff edge from Brexit negotiations happened. And I had a crisis in my business to contend with. And that led to me not being able to push the sustainability agenda in a podcast. That's equivalent to absolutely what some of the challenges supply chain leaders could be facing. So shit, we're, we've, got, we've yeah. got supplier issues. We've got, we're not making any money. Um, we're losing... All of those sorts of things will get in the way of longer-term progressive activities and actions. So I think that's, actually, that's totally right for you to sort of flag that as... And just very briefly on the Brexit thing, so as a further... Oh, please, do we have to? Go on. No, I do. Just depresses I do, I feel, No, no, <laughs> you see, this is where I think we have opportunity. So, fervent Remainer, very upset for a very long time about it, just fundamentally... You're telling me you're no longer upset? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying I'm fatigued. I'm just saying it's done, or it's going to be done, and we're going to get these wonderful Big Ben gongs on the 31st, because that's clearly a good good decision the point is it's happening so the the point and opportunity that that brings to this country and to any global leader in looking at the UK is there has to be a federalist a, a perspective on the UK so a decentralization because let's see what happens to the financial services industry it might not all stay in London you know Banks are looking at Dublin, they're looking at... Well, Germany. it's already happened, that's already It's happened. already happening, right. But my point is, that means we need to rethink what supply chains mean. It means to rethink what we're thinking in terms of how we can generate opportunity in other areas of the country, which means that we can come together to have a, a supply chain talent in different corners that we traditionally perhaps wouldn't look, look at, and B, through anytime, anywhere, digitalised of working that just means that you just open up yourselves up to the talent that I previously mentioned yeah okay we are massively overrunning already but we're going to carry on okay um, 
first episode I'm already breaking the rules because I just don't think we've we've covered everything that, that we could uh, it's probably more our hunger than anything else that's going to dictate when we <laughs> we finish because it's half past eight we've both had a very long day but the cashews helped the cashew the cashew the cashew bless you um <laughs> so we've we've talked a lot about the, you know we've talked about the context of supply chain the things to consider when you work in supply chain that are going to affect the agenda whether it's called supply chain in the future etc etc um but then there's some additional issues if you work within supply chain on on driving proper value around sustainability the first thing is around fostering collaborations outside of your business because you can only influence and implement so much yeah. internally yeah um have you seen anything from a tech perspective or elsewhere changes in perspective that really can influence that that shift? So, so I'm quite passionate about this. So Ooh, yes. Okay. So the only way that this is going to change is collabor- collaboration across the the value chain. So mm. if you're thinking of new ways of designing things or new go to markets or repurposing, the only way that's going to be effective is using your entire value chain. Otherwise, mm. it becomes a very selfish preoccupation and you don't have the ability to judge what the consumer wants because you have a very one-dimensional view based upon your own organization's data so for me the whole idea that the future of business is about a purpose that is greater than what your organization on its own can achieve and Mm -hmm. i know this sounds very big and grandiose but I genuinely mean it that's what we need to do to make a step change in climate change in sustainability and everything it's like okay how do we realise how do we collaborate to solve a bigger problem yeah. the crisis is coming whether it's the Greta effect or not yeah it's, um, it becomes irrelevant once you've recognised the issue it becomes irrelevant and yeah. the point is in the next 10 years I genuinely believe that's what we need to focus on it's like What's the problem we're trying to solve, not yeah. how much money can we make from the consumer? Vertical expansion, like the, the idea of um, instead of acquiring your competitors or that sort of thing, actually acquiring either upstream or downstream yeah. elements of your supply chain was a kind of in vogue a few years ago. I remember when we were at Carno Metalbox making tins on our grad scheme. People were still talking about how Heinz built their own tin making factory and right. and, and just the absolutely destroyed destro- with the Altoid tin. <laughs> yeah, don't get into that. It's just a I feel like I'm gonna That's okay, amazing. in the intro I will refer to that. Yeah. <laughs> so that I don't have to explain it now. But how am I how are you gonna how am I gonna explain the Monica Winsky Altoid tin? Fiasco. It means, it means packaging is just so important in this world. It it takes impeachments oh. of presidents. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, we worked. You, we, and, you and I both worked in the packaging industry, and we were very aware at that point in time. He says, "Bring it back on track," of the idea of vertical vertical expansion. I feel like perhaps on the sustainability side of things that <laughs> that vertical expansion is going to become uh, a part of the conversation again. Definitely. Um, I'm going part of this series. I'm going to go to a, on a visit to a, uh, a waste and recycling plant. And talk to the the guy, brilliant guy called Adam, who is the policy maker for the government who, who works for Suez, uh, the waste management business. And it occurred to me, like, you know, if I was like Nestle or Unilever, 
why wouldn't you in, why wouldn't you uh, invest in waste recycling waste management and 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 actually join the loop in the circular economy by actually investing in in the the infrastructure that's going to be required to actually recycle the product that you make in the first place and still popped into my head the other day it's a really good question and i think um they are trying to go beyond even having that so going back to my point around recycle recycle to me is like almost the worst the case last scenario scenario yeah that we should be looking at yeah. it's like it's old school because it already suggests that the, the what you're throwing away no longer has any value exactly and so so i think that that is really key to how we need to rethink everything okay so we're going to have to start wrapping up otherwise i just think you know a number of people have already arrived at work in their car They've run out of time to finish it. They're sat in the car park. They're thinking, how late can I be? It's a lot of chatting from Johnners and Johnners. So let's start working towards a bit of an end. What do you think the future of consumerism from a viewpoint of sustainability is? Where do you think it's going? What's the consumer goods industry going to look like in 20 years? Ooh, nice question. So uh, finally, it's taken. Hang on, fifty-three minutes. Fifty-three minutes. Finally, come up with a good question. That's a bloody awesome question. <laughs> so, so I think consumerism is already. Um, I think it's it's buying something that's going to last for a long time. So it's. It's almost like old school war mentality, mm-hmm. right? I think we're so going backwards, aren't we? I think we're going backwards. We're mm. going to war, war mentality mm. of how can we reuse that? I'm going to come back to the Blue Peter thing. Huh. How can we reuse something that we've already got rather mm. than buy something new? Mm. I think that's going to drive everything. I, I always feel, I feel like it's the analogy of blockbusters. If blockbuster video recognised that their role was to enable the experience of watching a movie rather than distributing and lending physical DVDs and videos then they would be Netflix today exactly (coughs) so it's this it's this ability to to reuse right so Rent the Runway great example of consumer future thinking so are you rent um, designer clothes rather than buying them yeah. So the idea of rather than fast fashion, I think is going to die because I think there's going to be so much accountability to be held. That's just simply going to die. Now, if we're looking at um, in in developing world areas who don't in any way that they aren't going to be buying that fast fashion in the first place. So it's like, how can we repurpose the fashion we already have to make it cool? It, it's I think Instagram is going to have a massive influence in this space. Mm. Like, how can you reuse the things you've already got? And these Instagram models, um, tragically, are going to drive a lot of the behaviours and how we perceive what what clothes and what things we have. And I think clothes is a massive problem. Mm. So, if that's the future of of consumer... Uh, behaviour, <clears throat> then supply chain is going to be following that that, that 
Yeah, but the great thing about supply chain in that perspective is it's going to redefine logistics industry is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and We're obsessed with next day delivery, for example. Exactly. <coughs> Why? That it, it's not profitable. Absolutely. It's dramatically overusing the world's resources uh, unnecessarily. It feels like it's a fight to the death, which is not, which is 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 driven by a perception that consumers want something immediately. Um, whereas actually, if you explain to them the impact of that versus that's very waiting. True. Very true, and I think what we're also going to be able to go back to is rather than um, mass consumption, and which means mass production, we're already seeing the trends of personalised production, right, which is costing us a lot of money, a lot of resources. But the advent of industry 4.0 techniques such as mm-hmm. digital twins, being able to do you know, carbon copies from a digital perspective of, of your supply chain, mm-hmm. that enables you to have local uh, supply chain networks with scenario-based planning from a centralised perspective, mm-hmm. which then reduces the resources, reduces this, you know, we've got to ship these products from the other side of the world by tomorrow. I think technology has a massive role to play in all of this that will allow the personalisation yeah. without the consumption of resource. Mm. Absolutely. Okay. So, we've covered a hell of a lot. We have. Um, which is great. Yeah. Because hopefully the remaining episodes of the podcast are going to come back to a lot of the themes that we've talked about today. Is there anything you think I haven't asked you that I should have done? I think we have pretty much covered everything. Good on you. I reckon in the next 30 seconds you'll probably think of something. Um, okay, so... It's absolutely been brilliant to chat to you. If somebody listening to this wants to continue the conversation with you personally or get in touch with you, and uh, what would be the best way? LinkedIn, it? just ping me a message. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and so if it's all right, we will put a, yeah, yeah. a, a link to that, um, yeah, yeah, to, your, to your page. Um, uh, hear the, the sirens Let's outside. Just, up, just, just so that everybody knows Hunger. that it's real. I, when, when I invited you in, you... you, you Last week you recorded a podcast in Abbey Road Studios, and I was like, "Oh, Jesus, I can't commit. But I can't, I can't, I can't compete with that." But wine, cashew nuts, wine and cashew nuts, absolutely. And you're in the snug. In the we snug. are overlooking a major A road on Old Street Roundabout, but we'll forgive that. Thank you so much, Jonas. Um, really appreciate you coming in. It's awesome um, to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, hopefully we'll, you know, we can come back in with a, with an update report. Maybe at the end of the. I tell you what. Maybe at the end of the series, yeah. you come back in and you, having listened to every single episode, yes. as you would. With, with grip. With, with grip. With grip? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. with, uh, on tenderhooks. On tenderhooks, there we are. Yeah, but grip as you wish. <laughs> Is that like the German translation? I know you speak a lot of languages. Um, maybe we can like have a, have a recap and see... Whether we've actually resolved anything whatsoever, or if the world's just totally yeah. screwed, or maybe, or you could just come back and tell me that just the whole thing was just a total waste of time. No, Either way, it would be really useful. It's just not going to happen, is it? <laughs> I think it's really-